Thank you for letting me go to the Action International Ministries Brazil conference last weekend. We had a great time together. In fact, Pastor Silvio, raise your hand, Silvio, is back there with me. He wanted to hear me preach in English. He's uh, checking me out and learning English, but say hi to Pastor Silvio. He's uh, operating a mission with, a, with an orphanage in, near Serra, a little town called Arasais, with his family that will be here in the second service. Uh, and Josh, thank you so much for expanding our view of Christ. I've been meditating on that this week, of how big is my, my view of Christ. Is he everything for me? Uh, very hard to get there, right? I don't think we'll ever get to big enough until maybe we see him face to face, and then we will. Well, we're going through Second Peter. Uh, we're at chapter 2, verse 17. I hope you have your Bible open there. Um, under the title for the whole letter of Escaping Corruption. I read about Michael Garner this week. Michael says his brother Stephen loved his 700-pound sow so much that he treated her like a family member. Uh, a prize-winning, if you don't know what a sow is, it's a porca. 700, 300 kilos of pig. And Stephen loved her. Took care of her like his sister. But uh, at one point the sow had bitten somebody and the veterinarian said, you need to put her down. Because once a sow bites somebody, it's not good. Well, Stephen disappeared. And Michael says, they searched and searched, but they finally found some remnants of his clothing and his dentures in the sow's pen. And they believed that the sow devoured Stephen. And they asked the veterinarian, why was that? The veterinarian says, well, their roots are wild pigs, and that's what wild pigs do. This is not your family member. This is a violent pig. We're going to talk this morning about sows. Peter uses sows as an example of false teachers that devour those who listen to them. I'm glad the kids had left before I told that story. <laughs> Can we review a little bit? So back to ver chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we talk about uh, the way to escape corruption. Corruption is caused by evil desires. Corruption is not just politicians. Corruption is in every single human heart which longs for itself. We worship ourselves. We seek our own desires. It's caused by evil desires. How do we escape something that's inside of us, holding us prisoner? Well, Peter tells. Number one is in verse one. Very, very first verse of 2 Peter says, to those who have received like precious faith. Saving faith comes by the power of God for you to believe what you cannot see. That's the first thing. Ephesians 2 says, this is not of yourselves, it's a gift from God. If you don't have that, ask God for it. So the first step of the way to escape corruption is saving faith from God. The second step, believe the promises of God. That's verse 4 of 2 Peter chapter 1. Believe the precious promises of God in the Bible who says if you believe in your heart that 
that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Promise. Believe it. Believe the promise. Simple faith, taking the promises of God as true, changes your life. Third, hear. Oops, we're both doing it now. I'll, I'll take over, Fernando. Thank you for helping me. Hear and follow God's call. So Peter says that through the goodness and glory of God, we have received the call to come out of, out of sin, out of death, out of our old life into a new life in Christ. So hear that call. And I would say hear that call every day. Hear the call of Christ. Come out of yourself. Come out of the world. Come apart from them and be holy like I'm holy. Hearing, having ears to hear, to come to his glory and goodness. Remember Romans 3.23? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God is constantly calling us up to his glory, to be holy and glorious as he is. The fourth step of this way out of corruption is to know the Lord Jesus. To know the Lord Jesus. We, receive, we escape corruption through our knowledge of him who called us. That's what Peter says. Through knowing him, we have everything we need to live the godly life that Christ bought for us. But it has to do with a relationship. It has to do with listening and responding, with sharing every moment with the Holy Spirit as you walk this way of escape from corruption. The fifth step in this way is to share in his divine nature. It can't just be outward. It has to be a change of heart, a change of nature, a change of desire. You long for what God longs for. He does that when he plants himself in your very body, which he calls the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, you, you become sharers, partakers in the divine nature through this transformation. And then that verse that we've all been working on memorizing, you add to that saving faith, you add to that belief in his promises, the hearing of his calling, virtue. Well, let's say it. Can you say it with me? It's on, there, on the screen with you. <clears throat> virtue, or enough, he says goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. So that's the way to escape corruption. And Peter says if you have these in increasing measure, they will keep you from being unfruitful in your knowledge of God. You can be a Christian and not bear fruit. You can be on the border, on the edge. Paul calls it being saved as though through fire. All your works get washed away by the waves of time or burned up by the judgment. Now today, we're to chapter 2, verse 17, and I've titled the, these thoughts, Slaves of Corruption, Who's Your Master? Slaves of Corruption. The ESV uses the word corruption, where the NIV uses the word depravity. So that's the same, the same idea, corruption or depravity. Let's read it one more time just to hear the words of this uh, powerful passage. Second <clears throat> uh, Peter 2, verses 17 to 22 in the NIV. These people, now he's talking about false teachers. You'll remember Aaron's uh, great message on the, the uh, characteristics of these false teachers where he talked about them being compared to Balaam and other uh, false teachers in the Old Testament. <clears throat> these people are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. 
For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed, returns to her wallowing in the mud. My dad was a great dad. and He had six kids, and he was a missionary who lived on support. So he had a hard time doing a lot of exciting entertainment with his big family. So when he heard that Jim and Tammy Faye Baker were building a Christian Disney world, he joined the club. For $1,000, this is in the 1970s, some some of you will remember, PTL Ministries and Heritage USA and South Carolina, the Christian version of Disney World. If Christian families are going to spend the money to go to Disney World, maybe they'll spend it to join the PTL club and come to Heritage USA for three days a year for the rest of your life. That was the promise. For 1000 bucks. You and your family can come enjoy three days at Heritage USA in the Heritage Tower and go down the giant water slide and shop in the mall and have your your hair fixed at Tammy Faye's beauty parlor. And Dad bit bit the, the bait. And we went for three days. I can't remember what year it was or how old I was, but I still remember the water slide. It was awesome. It was great. Not a bad idea, actually. Good marketing plan. Here's the problem. The teaching had no content. There was very little biblical content. There was a whole ministry built around feeling good and being healthy and being beautiful and happy and successful. The second problem was they had way more people pay a thousand bucks than they could fit every single day of the year. And they didn't stop. They didn't say, okay, we're full, no more. Just kept taking the thousand bucks and using it for themselves. And as you probably know, if you don't look it up, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker became a crash and burn story of what they would probably tell us today were false teachers. Teaching a version of Christianity that is not biblical, has no content, and ended up making promises they could not keep because they were insatiable. They were insatiable. It was never enough. And they preached to those who also were insatiable and were drawn in by some of those lies. That's who Peter's talking about in this passage. I think the key verse is verse 19. Look at verse 19 again. They promised them freedom. They promised them freedom. But they themselves are slaves of corruption or of depravity. Whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Now, this is juxtaposed with what Peter has already said about the great and precious promises of God that lead you into escaping corruption, lead you into sharing God's uh, personality, 
The very nature, divine nature is planted in your soul and God fulfills every single one of his promises. So this is the opposite. They promise something they can't deliver. They don't even have it themselves. Four metaphors that Peter gives us for these guys. Springs without water, that's verse 17. Clouds without rain, mists driven by a storm, he says. So there's all this energy. There's the look of rain. This reminded me of Angola. I was in Angola recently with our dear uh, action folks, Paolo and Daisy, up in Bengala, running a program for 600 kids. And, and it got really cloudy one day, and it's all dusty and desertous. They don't have enough to eat. And he says, see those clouds? He says, this happens all the time. Looks like rain. If it were Sao Paulo, it would be, you'd be running for shelter. Never rains. Looks like rain, blows like rain, and blows right over and doesn't rain. And it's desertous. That's what these guys are. So Peter's comparing to these false teachers, people that look like they're going to give you what you're longing for, and they don't. They mouth empty, boastful words, he says. Mouth. That means da boca pra fora. They sound really good. This is why I asked you to ask each other what you listen to. Podcasts galore. They're multiplying by the day. And they're there to make you feel good and healthy and successful. And they scratch where you itch. And it looks really like it's giving you something. But there's no result. There's no satisfaction. Because it's no content. You know what? As I was studying this this week, I am so thankful that I don't have to come up with something smart to say every week. I'm glad you didn't call me here to do a motivational talk once a week to get you going and rile you up. I don't have to come up with the content. It's already written. All we do when we gather is again chew the words of life that give us that divine nature. Remember the promises of God and talk about how to put them into practice. The content is there. So when you choose who to listen to, listen to someone who really has rain, who has satisfaction in their souls and gives you satisfaction through what we sang about a few minutes ago, the living bread that feeds your faith, that waters your soul. Look for that content. The, fourth, the third metaphor is in verse 22, right at the end of what we read. Dogs returning to their vomit. Now Peter's pulling this right out of Proverbs 26. Fools are like dogs who return to their folly like dogs going back to what they've just vomited. They ate something that made them sick and they're going to go back and eat it again. That's what these false teachers are. And like washed sows wallowing in the mud. Now this is a very important key to this passage because if you don't have these last two metaphors, you can think that Peter is saying someone can be saved and then turn their back on Jesus and walk away and be worse than before they were saved. Sounds like that if you read verses 20 and 21. But that is actually not the case because he compares these guys to people who have never had an inner transformation. They've never lost their nature of dogginess and sourness. They got washed. They look beautiful. They smell nice. They talk pretty. But inside, inside, they've never been changed in their desire, in their heart. They still go back to their vomit and they still go back to their lamasau. I like that word in, in Portuguese. Their mud. They wallow in their mud. 
They are slaves to what has mastered them, which is their own lustful desires that they then try to entice others with. That's where we're going to go with our application. The way they do this, we've already mentioned, is through empty, boastful words. They appeal to the lustful desires of the flesh. What is that? Money, power, sex, prestige, food. Things that are good and are to be taken with thanks, but in moderation. So they appeal to these insatiable desires of the flesh. The word says, the eye is never full of seeing. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. These false teachers call out those things. They promise you success, happiness, multiple businesses, your own house and a new car. If you will, just put something in the offering plate and satisfy their own lustful longings and desires that are never satisfied. Promising freedom, they are slaves of depravity. I read about an evangelist named Jesse Duplartis. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but this was 2019. Uh, he's raising $54 million to buy a jet so he can evangelize the world because, he says, today Jesus would not ride on a donkey. I don't know what verse he got that out of or how he thinks he's following Jesus, but I think he's going the opposite direction. He's with the world thinking as the world thinks. Who is the audience of these false teachers? Who are those who listen and are enticed by them? Peter says very clearly, they are those who are just barely escaping from those who live in error. That's a fascinating light on the world. There's this whole body of people who are living a lie. They are living in error. They think they will find satisfaction and peace in worldly pursuits. Someday I'll have enough money that I can just relax because my whole life will be taken care of. And it never comes. It's a carrot on the end of a stick that keeps you going the wrong way down the broad road to destruction. Those who are barely escaping, they start realizing that, oh, I don't think this is right, I think this is error. And they start going and they start looking for somebody to listen to. And they find a false teacher. They find a, a, a good communicator that gives them a motivational talk about all the things they need to do to be healthy and happy and live a long life on this world. And I will, this will satisfy you. And they go right back into the error of the false teaching. Verse 14 calls them unstable. They're enticed by the passions and lusts of the flesh. What's their destination? These false teachers and those who follow him is blackest darkness. Now this comes right out of Jude. Aaron showed us the connection between 2 Peter 2 and the book of Jude. They're, they're probably copying the same source or maybe copying each other because they cite very similar examples. And Jude also says they are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom black, blackest darkness has been reserved forever. I think Peter is remembering Jesus' words in Matthew 25, verse 30. You could write that reference in your Bible if you like to do that sort of thing. Matthew 25, 30 says, Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. 
In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That was the guy who hid his talent, remember? The worthless slave who got thrown out into outer darkness, waiting for judgment, along with the devil and his angels that Peter has already mentioned in chapter 2. Their nature has not changed. They've not been transformed. No satisfaction and no transformation. How do we interpret this? I think verses 19 to 21 talk about gospel inoculation and not losing true salvation. Gospel inoculation. They heard just enough to try to imitate the Christian life, teach people how to be good people, wash the sow, right? Maybe put some perfume. So you look good, but there's no transformation. So it's gospel inoculation, and that's why it would have been better for them if they had never faked it. It's better to stay in their sin and filth and finally come to true salvation than to hear a little part of it or think it's about coming to church or being good, being a nice person so you can go to heaven, doing more good things than doing, doing bad things. That's all false promises. doesn't get you there. Gospel inoculation is the promise of freedom when they can't deliver. Slaves of depravity or corruption. It says they had escaped corruption, so they stopped doing some of those bad things. They knew about Jesus. Maybe they even raised their hand in a meeting or went forward. They turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Now, this is a key we're going to look at in a minute. What is that sacred command? They turn their backs on obedience. Turn their backs. When it comes time to do something I don't want to do, no, 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 no. I want freedom. Don't tell me what to do, what not to do. I want freedom. I want to just be free. So I hear people talking about anarchy. They don't really believe that there's pernicious evil in the soul of every human. If you let anarchy take over, you give full vent to that evil. They refused to obey the sacred command. They were entangled again in corruption and depravity. They're overcome by it. And then Peter says, it's better never to have known than to be this person. I looked up Matthew Henry's commentary. I don't know if you know Matthew Henry. He's one of my favorite commentators. Old Pastor Matthew Henry. He went through the New Testament on Sunday morning, the Old Testament at Sunday night, and when he got to the end, he started back at the beginning. And he wrote the commentary of the whole Bible that has just shed so much light on some of these things. He says, Some men are for a time kept from the pollutions of the world by the knowledge of Christ who are not savingly renewed in the spirit of their mind. A religious education has restrained many whom the grace of God has not renewed. Did you get that? A religious education. How to act like a Christian. has restrained many whom the grace of God has not renewed. As I thought about this, I thought, here's what happens. You talk to your neighbor and you invite him to come to church. You find out he speaks English. Hey, I go to an English church. Come to church with me. The person comes to church, likes it, enjoys the music, enjoys the fellowship. Maybe it was a potluck Sunday. And they start coming. And they think... 
that coming to Calvary on Sunday morning is the way to go to heaven. I'm becoming a good person. I'm becoming like the people around me. I dress better. I talk better. I don't tell as many lies. I'm saved. But they've never understood the exchanged life. They've never understood that when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, turn from the way they were going, take up their cross, and go the same way I'm going, which is na contramão, against the broad road to destruction, against the flow of the world. It means exchanging your old life for a new life. It means taking out your heart of stone and having a heart of flesh implanted in your body so that now you are indestructible in Christ, which is what Josh preached so well last week. That's the gospel. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I now have a divine nature. I want to do what makes God happy. Because the Holy Spirit lives down inside of me. I'm satisfied in Him no matter what I have on the exterior because He is a spring of living water coming out of my inner being from which I can drink day and night. Satisfaction is in transformation by the gospel. And I'm afraid we have people in our churches every Sunday morning not getting there and thinking, that playing the game and being a good person and coming to church is all you need to do. If that's you, I've been praying this week that you would come clean and say, I don't want to be a pig anymore. I don't want to be a dog. I want to be a son of the King of Kings, born again by the Spirit and the power of the gospel to be transformed in my inner being so that I long for what God longs for and not for what satisfies my fleshly desires. My question to you is, to whom are you listening? What call are you listening to? Is it the call of your glands? The call of your appetites? The call of the world all around you to be popular and beautiful and perfect and successful? Or is it the call to the glory and grace and goodness of God by Christ coming into transformation and satisfaction? Who is your master? Whom do you obey? You know, false teachers are everywhere. False advertisements, false worldviews, fake hope, fake joy, fake love. It's all around us, calling us, wanting us to obey, wanting us to follow, wanting us to bite the hook. Become what the world says is important. Who has mastered or overcome your soul? You know, as I was thinking about this this morning, or this week, I thought about how have I been transformed? When, when was it? When is it that Jesus has touched me? And I remember that old song. Maybe you know it. Sing it with me if you do. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. Something happened, and now I know He touched me and made me whole. See, when Jesus masters you, when Jesus overcomes your heart with His love, with His sacrifice, with what He's done, 
there's no going back. Yes, you sin. Yes, you fall. Yes, you're tempted. But what you want in the depths of your soul is to be close to Him. To have that living water clean coming out of your inner being because that's what satisfies. My friend, if you have not been touched by the love of Jesus, look to Him. Gaze on Him on the cross, coming out of the the tomb, rising into heaven and promising that He will come back and that every knee will bow, will, will bend and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. He changes everything. Here's the, here's the truth. We are all born dogs. All of us are doomed to hell when we are born. All of us are in sin, objects of His wrath, which is just on us because of our sin. We must be transformed. What is that sacred command that they walked away from? What is it? What do we have to do? Number one, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me and drink. Come to me and rest. Come to me and repent. Come to me, fall at my feet and worship me as your king. Let me be the focus of your life. That's the main one. Come to Jesus and come to him over and over and over every day, every moment, every time you have a longing in your soul. Don't go back to that pornography site. Don't go back to your gossiping conversations thinking that somehow that will satisfy you. It doesn't. Jesus satisfies. Come to Him. Come to Him. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what Jesus came preaching. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from the world. Turn away from all these false promises of love and joy and peace and success. And repent, the kingdom of heaven comes with Jesus. And then finally, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter says, and you will be saved. John 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You've got to have two birthdays. I hope you have two birthdays. Maybe you don't know what the date is, but you've got to be born again. You've got to be born of water and of the Spirit, the blood New in Christ, a son of the living God, because you were born of the Father and not born of the flesh. Bob Dylan put it this way, you got to serve somebody. might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. See, we think freedom is non-obedience. We think freedom is the absence of law and command. Don't tell me what to do. I'm free. I can do whatever I want. Guess what? I worked with street kids for 15 years. That leads right back to chains because when you do whatever you want, you become enslaved to that which masters you over and over and over. I hope you've experienced that in sin so that you can say no more. I will not obey my sinful impulses. I will obey the command of the Lord Jesus. Uh, John chapter 8 says, if you keep my commandments, you will truly be my disciples. That's taking up your cross and following Jesus. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, we start halfway through that, don't we? We say, oh, just know the truth and you'll be free. That means do whatever you want. No! Keep his commandments. Be his disciple. Then you'll know the truth. Who, guess what, is a person. 
His name is Jesus. And you will be free. There's an example of this that helps me a lot, and that's the, uh, the example of a fighter jet. My dad was an Air Force pilot. A fighter jet is designed to obey the laws of aerodynamics in every detail. It obeys the law completely, as much as the engineers can make it. And guess what? It's free in the air to do almost anything. It won't, it won't fall apart. It can go upside down. It can do loops and rolls and climb straight up because it's totally obedient. That's the picture of a Christian who obeys the command and is free in Christ to live the life that God made you to live. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about going all the way into Jesus and being liberated from sin and death and the devil through him. Elvina Mabel Reynolds Hall wrote the words of the song that we're going to sing in a few minutes. And I want to read those words so that when you sing them, you can proclaim them fully from your heart. Lord, now indeed I find thy power in thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. And when before the throne... I stand in him complete. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall then repeat. 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11 challenge us with these words and with this I'll close. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray with me, will you? Just before we pray, I wonder if the light of the Word and the light of the Spirit has shined on your heart. And you've recognized that it's a pig's heart. Nobody else knows. But you know you've never traded your heart for Jesus' heart. What you really want, if you could be honest, is all the stuff the world promises. Maybe that's why you come to church. Lots of people do that. They come to the the gospel thinking that Jesus is going to give them all the money and success and pleasure that the world promises. That's not what this is about. Obey the command to come to Jesus. Just come to him right now and say, Lord, I, I can't save myself. I can't change my nature. But I want your divine nature in my soul. And I believe you promise it to whoever believes and confesses and repents. And I believe right now. That's all you have to do. Believe and give him everything you are. Give him that old pig's heart and say, I want your heart in me. Father, Your grace is all we need. And I pray your grace in Jesus' name, especially on those who have never come, who have never been born again, that they might come under the curtain of your blood into the family of God through new birth, simply believing, simply confessing, simply repenting, and falling on you who have done it. And I pray for the rest of us, Lord, that we might not be enticed by our own fleshly desires to 
follow the vain, empty promises of the world. We might not preach false promises to ourselves or our children or our spouses or our neighbors, but that we might speak your name and share what is true so that your kingdom can come and your will would be done. Bless us in this way through your word and your spirit, we pray. In your name, amen.